there is one that we serve above all others, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. We will see this week how understanding that we serve the Lord Christ above all else will affect every other aspect of our life. It'll affect our relationships and our work. I'm Noah Hooper, and this is the Taught by Grace podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Taught by Grace podcast. Thank you for joining me and listening. It's hard to believe that we have already reached the last section in Colossians 3, and we are going to be concluding our study through this great chapter of God's Word today. Let's begin reading in verse number 18. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord, and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. The verses we will study today are a demonstration of the inward work in verses 5 through 17 that we have looked at over the last few weeks. Obviously, there is a clear application presented in those verses, but much of those verses are speaking of what you must put off, put on, and bring into your life. In these eight verses, we see what it looks like in our relationships and in our work when we have put on love. When we have put to death the deeds of the flesh, we have done the things that God exhorts us to do in verses 5 through 17. When you are right internally before God, then you can be right before those you are around. Paul directly commands wives, husbands, children, and fathers and servants only after he has delivered what every Christian must be clothed in. It is only after you have put on those things that you can do these things. For the fact of the matter is that relationships are hard. They require that we must be right before God if we will be right with others. You'll notice as we go through these verses that God doesn't command one half of a relationship to the neglect of the other. He doesn't just address the children's obedience, but he also calls the fathers to love. In this, we see that every one of us has a responsibility, regardless of the part we play in the relationship. It is not one-sided, but God calls all of us to be rightly related one to another. In this, we see that there are three types of relationships that are addressed in this section. By the way, I want to preface this section before I continue. I'm obviously not yet a married man nor a father. So I don't claim to have personal wisdom and knowledge of certain things that are pointed out in these verses. However, even though I personally do not have authority in and of myself, I know that God's word is the ultimate authority. My desire is to approach these verses with humility and simplicity. We may not dive into the full depth as we often do studying through the Bible like we have been, but I believe God can still use this. So let's notice the first type of relationship, and that is the marriage relationship. The Bible says in verse 18, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. 
we see first mentioned here the wives. Wives are commanded in this verse to submit to their own husbands to the extent of it being right or fit in the Lord. This is not about submitting in the manner that this verse has often been twisted to mean before. That the wife is commanded to be simply the servant of her husband to be at his beck and call and do whatever he wants her to do. That is not what this verse is about. But this is a call for the wife to lovingly submit to her husband to the extent of being right in the Lord. If he calls her to submit and it violates the word of God, she is not obligated to submit. But he doesn't just point out the wife's responsibility. He also points out the husband's. And that is unconditional love. He says, husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. God's call to husbands in this verse is to love their wives. In Ephesians, we see that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. The husband is to love sacrificially. He is not to treat his wife hatefully or be bitter towards her, but he is to operate in love. This is what happens when both have put on the items of verses 5 through 17. Both are exhorted to operate one towards another in love, and it can happen when they have done those things. The marital relationship is addressed, and then the father-child relationship is addressed. It is important to notice that first the husband-wife relationship is pointed out, then it is the father-and-child relationship. Dad and mom have to be right for the home to be right. Now let's notice what he says about the child. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Now Paul addresses the child's relationship to his or her parents. This is the chief responsibility you and I have as children to obey our parents from an understanding that obedience is pleasing to the Lord. This is a call to submit to the God-ordained parental authority in your life. The word obey here speaks of hearkening or listening attentively or hearing under. It is a command to bring yourself under the parental authority and strive to obey them in all things. This is synonymous to the command that is given all throughout scripture for the child to honor his father and mother. By the way, this is not about obedience to the extreme of disobeying God's word. When it is contrary to God's word, the child is not called to obey that. However, this is delivered in the context of a mother and father who have first given themselves to God. When that happens, the best interest of the child will inevitably be had by both parents. Therefore, God calls children in this to obey their parents in all things, to remember who they belong to and seek to honor them. The reason for this should be our motivation for everything, and that is that this is well-pleasing unto God. Why should you and I seek to honor and obey our parents in all things? We should do this because it pleases God. This must be our understanding. Children are not just commanded to obey, but the fathers are exhorted to not provoke their children to anger. Provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. The clarion call in this verse to the fathers is that they do not provoke and dishearten their children. To provoke to anger is speaking of causing the child to simply be angry. He is saying that the father's duty in the home is not to treat the children in a rash or hateful manner, this causing them to be angry and discouraged. To be discouraged in this, it means to be disheartened. Paul is saying that when fathers raise their children carelessly and harmfully, it causes the children to become disheartened. Discouraged and disheartened about what exactly? 
This could be applied in multiple ways, whether it is disheartened in general or disheartened or in relation to the things of God. One of the worst things that can happen to a child's heart is for them to lose heart. This verse is very similar to the command given in Ephesians. In Ephesians 6, 4, the Bible says, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That is the command given in Ephesians. And we see that illustrated here, that fathers are not to provoke their children to wrath, but to love them. By the way, in this, can't you see how that God cares about the home? The home is one of the most important organisms in God's plan on this earth. The home thriving is crucial to the impact of the church on the world. When the home thrives, the church will thrive. So Paul addresses the home life in verses 18 through 21. Then over the last few verses of the chapter, he addresses life at work. Let's read verses 22 and 23. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. This verse must have been incredibly challenging to the Colossian church. We must remember that they lived in a totally different world than we do. We can associate these verses with the employer-employee relationship, but this was incredibly different in that day and hour. Slavery was very impactful. It had a huge impact on the world during Paul's day, and members of the church that he is writing to here were servants or slaves. This was obviously not commended by Paul. Nonetheless, the reality was that there were some in an inescapable situation being servants to a master on this earth. Therefore, Paul exhorts these servants to seek to obey their earthly master in all things because they serve the Lord Christ above everything else. They may have had an earthly master, but even greater, they had an heavenly master. And that was the master that they were called to seek to please. And that is the master, the Lord Christ. That is who we are called to seek to please today. We see a theme running through these four verses. That is, servants should do their best in their labors because they want to do their best before God. He challenges them not to serve for their masters, but to labor for their Savior. Notice again, verse 22, servants obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. The word obey in this verse is the same word as given in verse 20 when the Bible spoke of parents. It is a call to hearken and submit. In this verse, Paul is exhorting the servants to do the work that their earthly master has given them to do. How were they to do this? How was the manner they were to go about in doing this to be? Grudgingly? Half-heartedly? Seeking to be seen of others? No, none of those things. They were exhorted to obey their masters from a heart that feared God. In this verse, he challenged them about how they are not to serve in two ways, but also how they are to labor. The first way is not with eye service, and that is speaking of doing the work to be seen of men. Christians ought not labor and ought not work so that we will be seen of men, so that we will be seen of the world, and that they will look at us and say, my, look at the work they are doing. He says, don't, don't work to be seen by men or as men pleasers. This command is to not labor just so that men will be pleased with you. You should not do the work just so that men will take notice of you and fawn after the work that you have done. 
That is nothing more than another form of pride. Paul is tearing down the ideology that work should be done so that others might behold your labor and think, my, look at what good work has he done. That is not how the Christian should labor. But this is how the Christian should labor. Notice the last part of the verse. With singleness of heart, fearing God. This is antithetical to the other two things mentioned in this verse. These two things are focused on working so that you will be noticed. But this last item is about working from a single heart because you fear God. Singleness of heart is simple sincerity. It is a heart that is united with one focus in mind, and that is God. The Christian should labor from a heart that does not desire self-glory, but rather understands the weight of serving God and seeks to serve Him from the heart. This is reinforced in the next verse. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. This verse can be the summary not just of working for a company, an employer, or however you might fit in that context, but of how we should labor in every aspect of our life. We are commanded to do everything heartily unto the Lord and not unto men. We should be driven in service by a heart that is devoted to God and seeks to do all things for Him, not for men. Now, when this is your heart, you will undoubtedly be a better worker and labor before men. Because when we seek to honor God in everything we do, we will not give half-hearted work. However, our motivation to labor, it should not be to please men, but it should be to please the Lord. It should be done unto the Lord, as this verse says. The heart is the core of our desires, and it should be what motivates us in labor and service. Essentially, Paul is saying, do everything from the heart unto the Lord. Whether your labor is flipping a burger, mowing a yard, working at a computer, or operating on people, all of our labor should proceed from a heart that desires to please and honor God. This should motivate all of us to serve God in all that we do. However, Paul does not stop there. He continues to point out another reason why they should labor wholeheartedly for the glory of God. In verse 24, Knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. You serve in a heartily manner because you know that God will reward that labor. The servants in this day and hour probably didn't receive much reward for the labor they did. Although I have to mention that Paul points out also in chapter 4 and verse 1 that masters, how they should treat their servants, how they ought to treat them with love, how they ought to treat them with respect. However, this is especially written for those who may have been under unsaved masters. That the work they did, it probably went unnoticed. And they may not have received much reward from that. Hence why the call of the last two verses that we just looked at is to selfless service. But now in verses 24 and 25, Paul points out that even though earthly masters may not reward labor, they may not notice what you do, but God will. God is not ignorant of the work that you do in his name, but he always rewards. He reminds them that they ultimately serve the Lord Christ and that we do as well. We may have earthly leaders, bosses, teachers, and authorities over us, but there is one who reigns supreme as our master, and that is the Lord Christ. It is interesting that the name the Lord Christ is used here. Because these two names especially point out the supremacy and lordship 
of Jesus Christ in our lives. Therefore, what is being declared is that above every master, above every other person, above every other leader, you serve the Lord Christ. He is the ultimate supreme authority in our lives, and he will not fail to reward you for the labor that you do. You may think this is small, this is insignificant, but when you even bring a cup of cold water to someone in his name, it does not go unnoticed. All throughout the New Testament, we see God point out how that he will reward the labor that is done in his name and for his glory. He is never ignorant of the labor his people do for him. He will reward that labor because, my friend, we serve a good master. The chapter ends with a warning about service as well. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. God will reward heartfelt service for his glory, but he will also provide a certain amount of judgment for those who do wrong in their labor. This is a convicting truth because it does not matter your name, your background, or pedigree. God is not a respecter of persons, but he always judges righteous judgment and will reward people based on their labors and what they did for his glory and will also recompense judgment and will also give judgment to those that just didn't care, that didn't serve from the heart for his glory. This section is an eye-opening call for those who are employees in our day and hour to fulfill their work from the understanding that they first and foremost serve the Lord Christ. Because of this, they are called to labor in a heartfelt manner to do the best they can because they are seeking to please God and not men. However, this is not just applicable to those in the workforce. Throughout this passage, Paul has called out husbands, wives, children, and servants, ultimately pointing out that everything we do should be done heartily to the Lord. Why do we do what we do? Why do we live the way we live? God absolutely, 100% cares about our motivation. Throughout this study of Colossians 3, we have seen who we are in Christ, and that is that we are alive. We have seen that we must put what we must put off, and that is sin. We have seen what we must put on and put in, and that is righteousness. Now we see how we must live it out in and among the world. God begins his work internally and then flourishes it externally. In our outward manner of living, we are called to do it from a heart that desires to please God. Let us not seek to receive recognition and honor of men, but let us seek to please and honor God. That is when our labor will be right. Let us understand that we serve the Lord Christ and that he is absolutely a good master and that he is worthy of our best. Thank you for joining me this week on the Taught by Grace podcast. And I hope you will join me next Thursday on another edition of the Taught by Grace podcast.